Tonight, what I want to tell you is that next week, Lord willing, we're going to start a um, series in here that we're simply calling Basic. And uh, this, these are some of the foundational teachings of Scripture and the Christian way of life. Now, don't confuse foundational with fundamental. Uh, fundamentalism is a movement in the 20th century that yeah, they get a lot right. But uh, again, why do they emphasize the things that they emphasize? Because they're reacting to their times culturally. But there's always been a, a certain core teaching. Uh, you see it when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is like that, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and right there, Jesus gives weight to something in Scripture that helps to interpret and understand all else that's in Scripture. But we're going to start that next week. Someone asked if we were starting tonight, and I said, no, we're going uh, to start that next week. But this is, this is lesson zero in that series because I, wanna, I, I can't help but connect all of the stuff that we're working on and this morning... Uh, we started the series on uh, lessons from Romans 8, using that little word for, and today's lesson was about hope. And um, I really thought there would be more input on the idea of glory that we talked about this morning. And uh, I'm still fascinated by that concept. And two weeks in, ago in here, we, we discussed that. You'll see, but but what, where does this thinking and teaching where does the where does the rubber meet the road where does this matter why why does why is this of any use whatsoever all right to answer that i want you to look with me at paul's letter to titus and uh, it's that small three chapter book towards the end of your new testament in fact in my bible you can open my bible up and there it is the whole thing right there and yet, packed in this small letter, you're going to see the answer to that question. Paul is writing a letter to Titus. He's been teaching Titus. He's been uh, uh, instructing Titus on how to do his work as an evangelist on the island of Crete, which is a very difficult place to bring gospel ideas. But What's interesting here is what he says to Titus about the type of teaching he needs to be focused on. He's reminding Titus that he only has so many chances to be effective and he needs to focus on what really matters. He needs to get back to the basics. In uh, verse 5, Paul says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for self-gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. He's asking Titus to find people who can not only teach the sound doctrine, but by giving a few examples of what that looks like, he's saying, I want you to find people who in their lives embody that trustworthy word that looks like sound doctrine. Now, we hear sound doctrine and we tend to think of a, um, a content or a curriculum of things that pass a test. It's sound. But understand that that's not how Paul and Titus would have heard that, the way that you and I hear that. Because the word translated as sound in most of your English uh, Bibles is, is the word, the Greek word that we use for the word hygiene. And if I tell you that something is hygienic or I talk to you about good hygiene, you think about medicine or uh, good health, care for your body, cleanliness, and that's spot on. That's exactly what he has in mind here. Healthy teaching. The kind of teaching that's going to produce believers who put it into action. Healthy people can do things because they have their, they have their facilities, they have their health, they have their strength. They are not compromised in any way by poor health or unhealthy habits. And Paul is very interested in Titus generating the kind of communities that live by the trustworthy word. We, we might say the gospel, but the, the, the teaching that is reliable and trustworthy. And in doing so, they will also show that in good works. Now, we tend to think of good works as good deeds, but the word there for works is similar to the word that, that we translate as energy, its actions, its activity. These good works are not things that people have to stop and intentionally think, you know, today's a good day to do some good works. We better find something good to do. Let's go do something exceptionally good. Let's go do something that will draw attention to what we're doing. This is just their normal action, their routine. You have to do these things. Why? Because this is what is produced by healthy teaching. This is what healthy people do. Which is very similar to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25 when he talks about the great separation at the end of time and the sheep and the goats and the people who went and did all of those good things. They uh, fed those who were hungry they uh, visited those who were sick and, and, and so on. They say to the Lord the same thing. When did we ever see you like that? And he says, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it for me. But you'll notice they're not aware that what they're doing is anything exceptional. It's just the way you behave if you're following and you believe healthy teaching. Okay, that's an aside. But here in, in Crete, uh, the way to better behavior, to, to righteous behavior, is to give them the kind of healthy teaching that will generate that within the community, the body of believers. And he's telling Titus that he needs to have leaders who can do that. Well, look, he mentions this um, 
healthy teaching again in verse 13 in chapter 1. He says, uh, rebuke them sharply, and here he's talking about the uh, people who promote unhealthy teaching. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith or healthy in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. I'm just wanting you to see the term, how often it appears. Skip down to 2.1. He says, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Or, let's translate that, teach what accords with healthy teaching. Uh, okay, Titus, if he was on a, had, a, had the possibility of being on a phone conversation with Paul might ask at that point, he says, well, okay, well, what does that look like, Paul? Paul would say something like, well, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women are in the same way to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what's good, to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. He's saying that's what healthy teaching would look like. Which, by the way, the opposite of all of that is a real problem on Crete. And and in verse 7, he says, um, or I'm sorry, in verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Why such a short list for the younger men? Well, because that's the start. If they can get self-control down, then they can start modeling the older men, and then they can pick up all those. uh, Because here's one fact about younger men. If they can get the self-control part down, then they'll live long enough to become older men, and they'll develop all those other good habits of healthy teaching. Now move on down to verse 11 in chapter 2, and notice that he says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous to do good works. At the point at which we think uh, the letter to Titus is just a lot of instruction about finding uh, leaders for church government and here's the laundry list and the checklist of things, Paul takes him back to why it matters, why, where it gets its sense of meaning, and that is the appearance or the revelation of the grace of God. It's rooted in the gospel. Here in verse 11 to the end of the chapter, you have in a nutshell the trustworthy word, the trustworthy teaching that Paul knew that was passed on to Titus, that Titus is passing on to the Christians in Crete. It's the trustworthy teaching that generates good works among us. You might say these are the basics. The grace of God, it's it's appeared. It's made known. It has been revealed. It brings salvation. Salvation is not in the good works. The good works are a result of the salvation that came when the grace of God appeared. 
This grace of God teaches us, it trains us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to things that are not like God and his good gospel, to say no to worldly passions. It gives us the ability to say yes to self-controlled lives, upright, godly lives in the present age. This is the power to live a very different kind of life. And, all, and, and we live in this present age, and the way that Paul describes the present age is that we are waiting. Now remember that in Romans, his word in Romans 8 was, we are eagerly awaiting the full revelation of our adoption, our, our adoption as his children. We're waiting in this present age as we go through suffering, as we go through trials, as we go through the the rigors of age and decay, but we have something to look forward to. Here, he has this same idea of waiting. We are uh, waiting in this present age. Waiting for what? For our blessed hope, our blessed hope. And that is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are then eager to do good works. And that's where we get that phrase in our mission statement. What he has um, done here is one thought leads to another. He, he starts out with the grace of God and then that, that he builds on that and says something else. So all of these things trigger another thought. And that's the way you should read that, that, that section of scripture right there. Um, but here he's hit on the basics, on the, on the, on the foundational truths that make sense of the Christian life, that you and I are not called to just sit on the sidelines and stay out of trouble, but we can be eager to do good works because we have hope. I mean, you just read this backwards. We're eager to do good works because God has purified us to do good works. He's redeemed us. From lawlessness, he's redeemed us from lawlessness because, and because of that, we have hope with the appearing uh, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, God's uh, significance and God's importance is revealed in Jesus Christ. And that teaches us how to say no to the things that are ungodly and yes to the things that are uh, upright and godly, even now, not just in the hereafter, but even now in this present age. And all of that is because of God's grace that has saved us. It's kind of hard to read that section backwards, but I think we did it. I think we just did it. And you, you track it and it works both ways. It's sort of like working a math problem in both directions and you find out, guess what? It works. But that's what happens when you find these foundational truths. You realize that they're all connected. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He he keeps making a, a, a big point of this, that it's been revealed, that it has shown up, that it is not a hidden secret. 
It's not, which by the way, might have been some of the problem that they were dealing with is that some claim to have secret wisdom, secret knowledge, the keys to the universe, things that others didn't know. And that through the power of words and the power of the spirit, you can command certain realities. By the way, that sort of teaching is still a problem today. You'll find it in so many different forms and we don't have time to go into all of that. But he says that, that, the, uh, the goodness and loving kindness of God, it is no secret. It's been revealed. You see it in the, in the life of Jesus Christ. And all of the witness and testimony about Jesus Christ uh, just points back to that, that, that God has made it known clearly. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is interesting here that baptism is not reduced down to one ritual act that then we, um, you know, we're washed and cleansed and that represents sins being taken away. End of story. Because if you leave it there, you can say, okay, well, all my sins were washed away up to the point of baptism. But what about the sins that come next? What about the sins that come after that? What am I going to do about that? Are we going to have to go back and get cleaned up again? No, because at baptism, not only are the sins washed away, but you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's that regeneration. The Holy Spirit is the, the breath of life, so to speak, for the Christian. It is that regenerating spirit. Spirit and breath operate in the same word group. They, they, they sort of mean the same thing. So now we have this very new kind of life powered by a different power source, uh, encouraged and moved on and motivated by a renewed mind, a renewed spirit. Uh, You see that in Philippians when he says we should have the mind of Christ. Uh, This is that change, that, that transformation that comes out of the new birth. And here he's just mentioned it very briefly, the, uh, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, if he wanted to go into an exposition of what all that was, he could have, but he figures that Titus understands what that is, and he's probably going to have to find people who are already doing that and then show others that that's what it needs to be like. Um, That renewal of the Holy... And the Holy Spirit, by the way, that triggers another thought. He says the Holy Spirit that he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And there's the idea of being adopted and being his sons and being his children all over again. Now, in verse 8, Paul wants it clear. This, then, is the trustworthy saying. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. Why would he say insist? Because these are the important things. These are the things that matter. Later on, he'll tell, he'll tell him, he'll say, don't, don't, don't get carried away down there in verse uh, uh, 8. Uh, he says, uh, avoid foolish, or I'm sorry, 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law. Those are unprofitable and worthless. How many times do we get caught up in things that are debatable and things that, you know, we're not really sure what the answer is, but we take sides on it? Oh, and it gets us all stirred up. 
Paul tells Titus, he says, you can get caught up in that. And guess what? He goes, the, here's, the, here's the deal. Uh, it, it reminds me of what uh, Charles Seibert uh, used to say, and I know he was quoting someone, but he would say, don't, he'd tell us in ministry, he'd say, don't get in a wrestling match with a pig because you're just going to get dirty and the pig likes it. And that's what he's telling Paul. You, you're going to get into a fight with these enemies, and guess what? It's not going to do anybody any good, and they're going to like it because it keeps giving them the spotlight and they get to keep banging their drum and making their point. He says, instead, insist on the things that are profitable for everybody and that are worthwhile. And that's those things that he's just mentioned, that little uh, rehearsal of gospel truth there. So sound doctrine is the teaching that is spiritually healthy to believers and to the body of Christ. That's the trustworthy teaching. That's what's good for the heirs or the adopted children of God who will, who will inherit the hope of eternal life, the ones who've been redeemed. Being redeemed means that we're brought back, we're restored. We're not restored so that we can go back to the same empty thinking of this meaningless world, but we've been restored and redeemed so that we can see things differently. We can see things through the eyes that are filled with healthy teaching. And, and then that's going to turn into action. Because if we believe it, then we need, it, it demands action. If this is true, then it means we have to change things. Not out of fear, but out of importance, out of significance. Or, you know, when you realize that something really, truly matters... When you realize that something is, uh, let's say, sacred or profound or very important, you're going to respond. We have an American flag right here. Uh, if you're in an event and somebody raises the American flag and they ask you to stand, you're going to put your hand over your heart or you're going to salute. Why? Because you know that that symbol participates in something very important. Well, that's why we act righteously. Because we realize that if this is so important and significant, it demands that we behave a certain way. We don't have to do the right thing out of fear. We do the right thing out, out of just a natural compulsion to do what's right, to do what matters. And that's where the word glory comes in. Because glory is that significance, that, that majesty of God that demands that we worship and that we live as he commands and that we see life as much better than what the world offers us. That's the trustworthy teaching. I want to wrap it up right there and say... Uh, that at this time we're going to sing this song. The uh, communion's been prepared in room 100. Maybe you want to take communion tonight. And uh, after this song, we'll be dismissed in prayer. So, Blake.